the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Happy Dog Friday from Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class. Yes, Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class. <laughs> Can't even say it. Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class came to the station today and went on a wonderful tour and uh, did a little recording for us. So you'll you'll be hearing from them throughout today's program. Well, welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. On Fridays, we depart from our usual uh, fair and we try to lighten up. We look at some of the uh, the news that we wouldn't otherwise cover. There's lots going on even today, but we're not going to talk about it. Because quite frankly, I'm, I'm just a little, I'm a little depressed. You know what today is? It's the last day of school for students and teachers in much of the area. I know that there are some areas in Vancouver, I think they're a week later or two weeks later or something. But spring break is starting. Don't you think we should have a spring? When I was a kid, did I really need a spring break? Well, at the time, yes, I was sure I did. But now that I'm a mature adult, I recognize that who really needs a spring break? Moms, dads, and other adults who work full-time, um, but we don't get one. So today marks the start of spring break for lots of people in our area. And uh, quite frankly, I'm happy for them, but I'm a little sad for us because we don't, uh, we don't get one. But having Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class here, and for those of you who don't remember, Mrs. Stutzman happens to be my sister. And one of the highlights of the entire school year for me is to have Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class come for a tour. For one thing, I hear about these kids throughout, throughout the year, and then to finally get to see their little faces is a real treat for me. Um, she loves the kids she teaches, and it turns out they love her too. And years after many of them have graduated, I, I hear from them that that, uh, that fourth grade class was their favorite. So it's always fun for me to hear about the kids that she's teaching and has come to love in the course of a school year. And they toured the station. And by the way, if you are interested in having a tour of the station, we give tours here with some regularity. Just call the front desk and let them know. Our um, Girl Scout troop or our Boy Scout troop or whomever, my fourth grade class, wants to come and tour the station Uh, You can make those arrangements as well. Well, today we are, as I mentioned, going to lighten up because it's a fun Friday. But we're also going to continue what we started earlier this month, and that is to uh, shine a bright light on Christian schools in our community. We don't have the opportunity to cover them all, but we are focusing on some with whom we have partnered here. And today we're going to talk with Dr. Debbie Miller. She's uh, with Westside Christian High School. And uh, Westside has been around for quite a long time. They're doing some pretty amazing things. So you'll have an opportunity to hear about them. And if you're thinking about Christian education, one thing you might consider doing is going to our listener savings page. We have discounts of up to 40% on some of the schools that um, you're hearing about. Uh, some have already sold their discount tuitions, but check it out. And you can also link to each of the schools there and go to their webpage and learn more about them. So if you have uh, kids or grandkids um, this is a great place to start, considering what might it take for me to uh, place them in a Christian school. And what about um, socialization? What about uh, athletic competition? What about some of the other things you might be thinking about? Well, those websites can fill you in 
on their uh, priorities, what their uh, emphasis is, their academic approach, uh, how they um, emphasize the Christian in the title of the school, in this case, Westside Christian High School, what makes it Christian as opposed to just a high school. You can find out all of that on their websites, and I would encourage you to uh, to go there and begin to uh, to check them out. But that's coming up at 5.30. We'll talk with Dr. Debbie Miller from Westside Christian High School. Well, how are you doing today, Clark? Um, you're going to be in on Monday, right? There's no there's no break. We'll be working right straight through spring break. And hopefully folks who don't have the opportunity to listen during the regular uh, part of the school day might have a chance to tune in. So we better be especially uh, careful on, on uh, Monday through Friday of next week because we might have some teachers well, you'll listening. Need, you'll need to watch what you're saying for sure. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I might want to refresh uh, my grammar and... I'll, uh... I'll be keeping the uh, button, the uh, my finger on the off button, just just, just to case. make sure. Yeah. yeah, if I use the wrong syntax or something, if you could please just rush like that. <laughs> well, not quite like that. But I you rush. Could save me from myself, uh, so that uh, the teachers listening won't cringe because they've heard me. Do you want me to like make a buzz sound, or do you want me just to pop in and say wrong? <laughs> what, what what would be the well, best? We might find some subtler approach. I'm not really sure at this Would point. Would subtle work? Probably not. Yeah, I didn't think so. Of course, wrong in a buzzer might not <laughs> might not work either. But well, this was uh, rather fascinating to me. Apparently, dogs are getting facelifts and nose jobs. Of course, they are. Cats are next. <laughs> I mean, are dogs requesting these procedures? Really? Uh, I guess if the owner of a dog looks really good, at least in their own mind, they want their dog to measure up to the same level of attractiveness. That they do, and so they are subjecting their poor, innocent pets to facelifts and nose jobs. Uh, These days, it's not enough to just bring spot to the groomer. If you really want your dog to dazzle and you have a chunk of cash to spend, you can take him in for a nip tuck. Isn't this, this is just cruelty, it seems to me. Uh, One uh, fellow from Sao Paulo, he's a vet and a plastic surgeon. Those two things probably should never go together unless there's been a serious accident with a, a pet. Uh, told DeJour, who reported the story, that he wants to wants his procedures to make pets more lovable to their owners. Now, wouldn't it be better for the owners to develop the characters so that they could love a pet who is imperfect, like virtually everybody and everything else in the world? Yeah, really. But he goes on to say, I often uh, say that a clean dog with well-kept teeth will always be in better contact with its owners. Otherwise, the dog ends up being put to sleep. Really? People are putting no, their dogs to sleep because they don't... Oh, my goodness. Poor. His name, by the way, is Edgard Brito from Sao Paulo. Well, Brito, who's been called the world's go-to dog surgeon, performs procedures to glam up canines' appearances. There's a go-to dog surgeon Apparently in the world? Apparently so. Botox to perk up the ears of a Doberman, nose jobs, facelifts, and other implants, um, which I won't go into... Um, dogs of the Upper East Side, artist Linda Ole of Tol du Jour, uh, I knew someone who planned to get his bulldog puppy uh, uh, implants. He said that he thought it would uh, make the dog look and feel better about himself. <laughs> really? Really, a dog is going to feel better about himself. Hmm. All right, then. There's some creative thinking going on here. Oh, for crying out or loud. Or creative justification. She had her doubts, she said, but then recalled how happy she'd seen friends' pets after, say, a haircut. Because dogs are always preoccupied with their appearance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not all pooches go under the knife to become more photogenic. Some wrinklier breeds have skin folds around their eyes, which can trap bacteria and cause infections. 
In the case of those dogs, it's a medical necessity, which may or may not be the case. I, I don't know. Whatever the reason, prettifying your pup costs a pretty penny. People spend up to six, or spend over $62 million in plastic surgery for their pets. That was in 2011. Oh, wow. According to animal insurance company Pet Plan, some procedures could set you back 4000 to $5,000. Well, doggy plastic surgery is just one way pet owners, especially millennials, are going to extravagant lengths to tend to their furry companions. It's as previously reported by The Post, New Yorkers have spent um, up to $8,000 a month on pet maintenance, such as nail painting, shrinks, as in psychiatrists, chiropractors, and massages for their beloved pets. The pet market has been transformed by humanization of pets, says David Sprinkle. He's a research director at MarketResearch.com, speaking to the New York Times. The term pet parent has increasingly replaced pet owner. Wow. I would love just once uh, to hear the thoughts of a a dog, for example, uh, when um, presented with the idea of having plastic surgery done. And whether or not the maybe self-esteem it, of the dog is elevated as a consequence. Maybe what it really prefers is that hot stone massage. <laughs> or just to be left alone. Yeah. To, uh, well, you know, do what dogs do. 17 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, which, by the way, you should know, is brought to you in part by Zero Res. Just in case one of those um, dogs is unhappy and messes <laughs> up your carpet. There you go. And there's no residue left behind. So yeah. that's, that's, the place to, uh, that's the place to go. By the way, what phase of your lunch are you in? Have you finished the carrots? I'm or working the on the vegetables. The vegetables. So it's a little carrots, a little celery. You ever Moving on to the uh, nuts up? soon. <laughs> It's always carrots and celery. What about a radish? Used to be just I, celery. Now it's I'm just, that's true. Both. You did add the uh, the carrot. I'm just a little bored with your lunch because every time uh, I ask right about this time, you're on the celery or the carrots. Well, what I did you, you have for lunch? Why don't we talk about that? I'd rather not. <laughs> Actually, I forgot to eat today, and I I went out at two two fifteen and got something to eat. All I know is I came into your office and there's an empty barrel of licorice sitting on your desk. Well, that was from the somebody put that on my desk. Because right. I like the black licorice, and I think the red stuff is something other than licorice, but that's a whole other subject. And there were only three or four left, and they put it on my desk. That was not my lunch. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> sure, yeah. it was fascinating for the listener. <laughs> well, for hundreds of endangered butterflies raised at the Oregon Zoo during the past year, nap time is over. This is a press release from the Oregon Zoo News. Zoo conservationists rouse the half-grown Taylor's checker spot larvae. From their wintry dormancy last month, transferring the very hungry caterpillars into uh, rearing cups at the, uh, the zoo's imperiled butterfly conservation lab. They do a lot of stuff over at the zoo. Uh, they have um, munched on narrow leaf plantain following a seven-month snooze. You remember what the... Seven-month snooze? Boy, I like the sound of that. Yeah, the caterpillar. Yeah, me too. The caterpillar. I'll take a nap in November, wake up sometime in the summer. As long as the paychecks keep coming, that exactly. would be a great idea. Well, yesterday, Oregon Zoo, um, <laughs> Oregon Zoo staffers joined biologists from the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife to release 1,219 of the growing caterpillars on uh, prairies in central Washington. So the Oregon 
um, caterpillars have been transferred to Washington, helping to reestablish populations of checker spots where some of the region's best habitat remains. Another 165 larvae. Uh, they stayed behind, and uh, the complete uh, transformation into adult butterflies will take place at the zoo a rear guard of sorts that will uh, breed, lay eggs, and produce caterpillars uh, caterpillars um, for a release next year. So Oregon is contributing to the ecosystem in the state of Washington. The Taylor's checker spot is one of the Northwest's most beautiful and most endangered butterflies. A species recovery bio- biologist says releasing caterpillars reared at the zoo is part of our ongoing effort to reestablish this imperiled species at sites where it was once abundant. Without the large connected populations, the butterflies struggle to survive. So, uh, Washington, you can thank us later for that. The zoo reared caterpillars uh, will complete their development in the wild, first turning into, remember what they turn into? What? Chrysalises. Crystal, that's right. Yeah, although I guess it, when it's multiples, it's chrysalides. All right, then. And then over the span of warm, sunny days this spring, emerging as adult butterflies and unfurling their for the first time their distinctive and colorful wings. And when you see one of these, I want you uh, folks in Washington to realize that that, uh, that whole process took place right here in the state of Oregon for your enjoyment and their survival. Speaking of Chrysalis, do you remember the uh, record company in the 70s, 70s and 80s? It was no. Chrysalis Records, and their uh, logo was like that cocoon thing. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just here to help out. I'm just thrilled that... Uh, Chrysalides. <laughs> that Portland is exporting something that's actually favorable. We export lots of donuts, if you never... Yeah, f- voodoo donuts. And uh, Blue Star. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. They're in Japan. How about that? That's uh, fascinating. <laughs> Thank you. I, I actually didn't know that. Well, a Chilean uh, tourist survived nine days while lost in a dense expanse of Bolivian rainforest. Thanks to who? Well, a troop of hero monkeys who dropped him fruit, led him to shelter and water every day, the man claims. Uh, the 25-year-old went missing from the adventure tour group that he was a part of at the Madidi National Park, a protected rainforest in the northwest part of, the, of South American country, uh, according to National Geographic. The night before Acuna disappeared, he refused to take part with the other tourists in a traditional ceremony that gives thanks to some something uh, for allowing them to visit the forest. It was a pagan ceremony, and maybe he had good reason not to uh, participate. I can think of several. It's because uh, he offended uh, the um, Mother Earth, says one of the tour guys, the owner of the Max Adventures. He didn't want to participate in the ceremony, so he ended up getting separated from the, the uh, larger party. Uh, he told the search party um, that Acuna was far away in a place we can't reach, referring to the now lost tourist. Well, Acuna was found um, on day nine, less than a mile away from the adventure campground, so he he could have been found, and he wasn't that far away. He was dehydrated, weak, and nearly eaten alive by bugs and told the rescuers he only survived thanks to the kindly monkeys who gave him food and led him to shelter, according to National Geographic. It's unclear which species of monkeys kept him alive, but that rainforest includes Rosillo, Lukachi, Titi uh, monkeys are some of the uh, types that are indigenous to the jungle. So I'm guessing we're going to see a movie about this in the not-too-distant future. It's kind of a Tarzan story, only he's already an adult, and he ends up lost, and they raise him for nine days. And Anyway, the monkeys were heroes. In the... <laughs> monkeys find lost tourists. 
Nobody really. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> do, do it again. In a world. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I wonder if there's a, a woman version of that. In a world where, <laughs> where monkeys find tourists and feed them various <laughs> things and lead them to shelter. how does the how does the tourist know that the monkey is leading him i mean what i mean there's flying around overhead how do you know i mean does the monkey you know kind of motion for him to follow me what does he do runs back and then it's like Lassie, you know, Lassie barks and he runs ahead and then he runs back and he runs. Maybe that's how it happened. Only he swung ahead and then he swung back. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a movie in this. We could just write something. Could you get on that? Because <laughs> we, could, we could actually make millions retire and have spring break. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, Vespa scooter um, was designed as an affordable way to put Italians back on the road after World War II. Um, But there's one Vespa that's no longer very inexpensive. It's the oldest Vespa uh, scooter, and it's now for sale, and it's worth a fortune. Now, the thing I like about this is somehow because this Vespa is old, Vespa with a P, is old, it's now more valuable. Now, as I'm aging, I'm thinking this, uh, this principle ought to apply to people like me. As we get older, our value should increase. That's countercultural, but I, I still think it's a good idea. But anyway, the oldest known existing Vespa is being auctioned online. And uh, as, of, um, uh, as of the last time I checked, its closing price was about $175,000 with bidding set to end on the 28th. So there's still time for you if you are interested in bidding on this very old Vespa. We don't even know if the thing works, but it's old. The fully documented Series O uh, was actually the third Vespa built, the third of any Vespa, the first two having been lost to history. It's been fully restored with the paint carefully stripped off uh, to highlight its early construction methods, which include a hand hammered and um, soldered, I guess, steel. What has is soldered have an L in it? Oh, yes, soldered. That does make more sense. About 60 of these uh, pre-production models were manufactured before the formal assembly line. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea, but I didn't build a Vespa. (laughs) See, the thing is, (laughs) yeah, but there's not going to be any soldering in that movie. (laughs) There's no technology of any kind, so I think I can handle it. See, that's why I need you to monitor me next week during spring break when the teachers are listening, because that just would not have flown. So, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the single-seater's 98cc engine still runs. Its uh, three-speed transmission works fine. If it wasn't worth so much, you could ride it home. But, of course, you don't want to you know, crash a $175,000 uh, Vespa. Anyway, the actual scooter, scooter used during the filming... Uh, sold about $58,000, and that's for the, uh, uh, the the film that was made back in, oh, 19-something, about something that had the Vespa in it. So there you have it, the oldest <laughs> the oldest Vespa that was soldered at some point in its restoration. <laughs> I think I need a nap. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever read the word soldered. This is a first, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. I'm going to do a little 
background search here. 30 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. <laughs> Am I flushed red? Uh, you couldn't. You, <laughs> you wouldn't know. <laughs> you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Later in the 5 o'clock hour, we are going to uh, talk with the principal of Westside Christian High School. <laughs> Westside Christian High School, Dr. Uh, Debbie Miller. Uh, looking forward to giving you an opportunity to learn more about Westside and to consider Christian education. This is a good season for folks who are considering Christian education to make arrangements for the next academic school year. So make note. You can also go to listenersavings.com for more information on how to save on tuition at many of the schools we've been talking about this and uh, through next week as well. Well, one of my friends uh, sent me a few stories from the Babylon Bee, which can sometimes be a bit irreverent, but uh, offers some pretty funny stuff from a sort of a, a sarcastic view of some of uh, what uh, we cherish as uh, as Christians. Uh, this headline simply read, Retractable Christian Fish Decal Now Available, which is probably a good idea the way some of us drive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but if you got that fish, uh, you're, you're, you pretty much identified yourself and you obligated yourself to drive uh, well, to be patient and all of that. We don't always live up to that standard. Anyway, Lifeway Christian Resources announced Thursday, and this is tongue in cheek, uh, that a new modification kit that allows Christian drivers to hide their car's ichthus, the fish decal, uh, from view is at a, the push of a button is now available. The aftermarket modulate, uh, modulation includes a dashboard button for retracting one's Christian fish at will, as well as the wiring and body modifications necessary to instantly retract the symbol as needed. I want to cut someone off, but worried you'll be a bad witness. Now you can slap the red button on your dashboard and a small panel will rotate on your bumper, hiding the fish from view, the company spokesman said. Um, If you're otherwise frustrated, uh, you can uh, do the same. Well, the kit uh, ships with several options, such as the ability to instantly replace the Christian fish decal with uh, with another decal silhouette. Um, or else the bumper sticker from a competing church in your town or city. <laughs> so you, uh, not only will your terrible aggressive driving not be bad witness, uh, but you can also make atheists or other church or religious groups you want to look uh, bad instead uh, be reflected in your behavior. The kit was uh, sold out within hours of the announcement, a LifeWay spokesperson said. Kind of a funny thing. I mean, sometimes I think we wish we could retract that if you've got a fish. I don't put one on my car for that very reason. My car is not a believer. I am. And I don't uh, always uh, live up to the commitments that I make um, behind the wheel. I try to, but, you know, there are occasions when you when you don't. But anyway, this retractable, retractable Christian fish decal now available from Lifeway. And what about this one? Headline, Pastor Opens Eyes from Benediction to Find Whole Congregation already at Applebee's. Park City, Kansas City. After blessing the congregation at New Words of Life Church with a prayer of benediction to close the service on Sunday, Pastor Ron Mead opened his eyes to discover the entire congregation had already exited exited the building, uh, made their way to the parking lot, and been seated at a nearby Applebee's restaurant. And Lord, finally, we just ask that you would bless each one of us as we go out and live as lights in a broken, hurting world. Mead reportedly prayed, in the name of Jesus, amen. But when Mead opened his eyes, he found himself staring at a completely empty sanctuary as church members had quickly filtered out in order to get uh, to lunch early and to avoid the 
uh, crush in the parking lot. <laughs> it's just tongue in cheek. So, no, yeah. Uh, by the way, his family was also gone. Um, he reportedly said, uh, confused as to what was going on. Hello? According to sources, Pastor Mead worried for a few moments that he had perhaps missed the rapture, but his fears were calmed as he checked Facebook and saw dozens of families from the church checking in at the nearby restaurant. The pastor then reportedly zipped over to join his family, who had also abandoned him, but they had finished eating and were already headed to an afternoon soccer game by the time he arrived. <laughs> Babylon B. Are you familiar with it? Yes, it's sort of uh, Christian tongue-in-cheek satire slash humor. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this uh, headline. Church introduces new soundproof section for bad singers. Yes. Uh, Canton, Georgia, Christ Church of the Hills introduced an innovative new feature at its central campus on Sunday, a completely soundproof section of pews reserved exclusively for loud off-key singers in the congregation, sources confirmed. The section of several pews is encompassed by a state-of-the-art um, technology preventing any screeches, bellows, or other distracting noises from leaving the isolated chamber and disturbing the rest of the congregation. Those seated in the section can listen to the service through a set of speakers wired into uh, the area. Now, this is so similar to the drummer in many churches that is completely caged off from the rest of the band or the congregation. In one church that uh, my husband and I frequent, you actually have to go into an entirely different room. You go through a side hallway, a back door into the drummer's booth where you are not only covered uh, all the way around, but there's actually a cover over the the top of you as well uh, in order to isolate (laughs) the drummer uh, lest he or she play a little too loudly. So this is sort of a a take on that. According to the head usher, the program is working out uh, great so far. Whenever we hear a congregant loudly belting out uh, the completed, the completely wrong notes, we send an usher and escort the offending party to the soundproof pews, the usher said. The singer is then free to go nuts for the rest of the service without harming anyone else, with the exception of other tone-deaf churchgoers who probably think he or she sounds good anyway. Uh, Bennett, the usher, further stated that it was standing room only in there at last Sunday's service. Again, tongue-in-cheek, the Babylon Bee. Uh, Two more of these. Uh, This one, Christian woman spends 10% of paycheck at Hobby Lobby in lieu of tithing. Gladstone, Missouri, in a move designed to support the kingdom of God and simultaneously get a great deal on various decorations, knickknacks for her home, local Christian woman Joy Christensen committed to spending a full tenth of her paycheck at Hobby Lobby in lieu of her regular church tithes and offerings every month, sources confirmed. Um, If we don't put God first by purchasing hundreds of dollars worth of home decor at a Christian-owned business, we're uh, uh, revealing money as one of the idols of our heart's worship, Christensen told reporters as she browsed her local Hobby Lobby location. That's why I am now setting aside 10% of my money to my Hobby Lobby shopping sprees. It's all God's money anyway, she says, and I'm just giving a little back by picking up Bible verse-themed wall decor at Amazing Bargains every month. Oh, man, 50% off wall decals. I'm glad I set money aside for, for God before I spent any of it on, uh, on myself this paycheck. At publishing time, Christensen had well exceeded her allotted Hobby Lobby tithing, uh, stating she had decided to go above and beyond for the kingdom. Again, a bit of uh, tongue-in-cheek that might actually sound a little bit too familiar for comfort. And finally, seven pointers for successful worship songwriting. Now, if you're a musician and songwriter, You'll especially appreciate this. 
Uh, we are in a bit of a rut these days, but that's the subject for another uh, another occasion. So you want to write a hit worship song? Great. At the Babylon Bee, we believe in you and we're happy to help. Writing a worship song that will turn you into a household name overnight is not as difficult as you might think. Just make sure you follow these seven pointers for writing the perfect holy tune. Number one. Every aspect of God's nature is best represented by either water metaphors or fire metaphors. Want to sing about God's love? Compare it to either a catastrophic Category 5 hurricane or else a raging inferno that levels an entire city. Nothing else comes close to accurately representing the love of God. And these were their course drawing on some of the music that we actually sing in popular worship music today. Number two, remember to direct the listener's attention and affections toward themselves. Worshippers should come away from a, uh, from your song with their affections stirred toward how great and glorious they are. If they talk too much about sin, wrath or the cross, they might feel bad about themselves. So use those negative words sparingly. Number three, the bridge must be at least five hours long. A good rule of thumb is that if you can't finish the extended edition of The Return of the King before your bridge ends, it's not long enough. Also make sure it loops perfectly with the choruses so worship leaders can cycle right back through it for another five hours at their discretion. Number four, make sure it's easy enough that the worship band can play it, but hard enough that the congregation can't sing along. Don't throw too many chords at the worship band. They're musicians, not magicians. Still, your melody should be difficult enough that the high and low notes are way too difficult for the congregation to sing. You want them to be painfully aware at all times that they're not good enough to be in the worship <laughs> in the worship band. Number five, just rip off an old hymn wholesale. If you're out of ideas, just close your eyes, open a hymnal to a random page, and bam, Instant modern worship hit. Just add an emotional chorus and bridge. Cut out any of the weird verses that talk about the blood of Jesus. Throw in the word yeah in there a few dozen times and you're good to go. Six. The lyrics must attempt to coax the Holy Spirit into the building as if he's really a shy kitty cat. Every worship songwriter worth his salt knows you've got to beg, plead, and cajole God to fill up the room with his presence despite the fact that he's already promised to be present with you. And finally, number seven, don't make too good a, a, of a song or Chris Tomlin will cover it and then no one on earth will know that you ever you were the real author. If you write something really good, Chris Tomlin will start cycling, or circling as though uh, there's blood in the water. Soon he'll cover your song and everyone will talk about that great new Tomlin song while you fade out in the public's memory forever. And what's the point in writing a worship song if you don't get all the credit for it? Follow these guidelines and your worship song is sure to be a major hit played in churches and arenas around the world for years to come. Yeah. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 52 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program and, well, speaking up from time to time. Yeah. A lot of people missing today, uh, anticipating spring break, which we, of course, will not uh, enjoy. But we will, yeah, we'll bask in the joy knowing that others are spring breaking. (laughs) Makes me wish I was with them. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some fun places in Texas. I would go to Drain for... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he will. He's got two little ones, but they're old enough that they, they'll probably do well. Yeah. Yeah. Driving can be long and arduous, but a lot of fun, too. Well, a rabbit hole in the UK concealed the entrance of an incredible cave 
It was a complex that was linked to the mysterious Knights Templar. And I'm not sure how they followed the rabbit hole to that location, but new photos show the remarkable Canyon Cave network, which looks like something out of a movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The shadowy Knights Templar ordered it, uh, uh, said to have used the caves uh, for who knows what purpose. Well, the Sun reports that the caves are hidden beneath a farmer's field uh, in Shropshire, don't you love the names of places in the UK? Shropshire. You have to really work at saying them, Shropshire. Anyway, uh, the site was visited by photographer Michael Scott, whose name is not very interesting. After he saw a video of the caves online, he said he traipsed over a field to find it. But if you didn't know it was there, you would have walked right past it. Well, once inside, he encountered arches, walkways, uh, carved niches. He described the caves as cramped noting that anyone uh, nearing six feet tall had to bend down inside the complex. He had to crouch down, and once he was uh, in it, uh, it was completely silent. There were a few spiders in there, but that was it. That would have been enough for me. That would have been it for me, a few spiders in there. Said to be 700 years old, the cave had been uh, lo- had uh, been linked to the Knights Templar, a Catholic military order that played a key role during the Crusades. Uh, named after Jerusalem's Temple Mount, uh, where the order was based, the order was founded in 1119 to protect pilgrims visiting the Holy Land. With the loss of the Holy Land, the Templars' military influence waned, and although they still held great economic sway in medieval Europe, in 1307, the French King Philip, uh, who wanted to wipe out the debts uh, to the order, launched a, a plot to bring the Knights Templar down. Many Templars were arrested or charged, including heresy, and uh, dozens were later burned at the stake, and I suppose the caves were used as a place to uh, to hide away. Uh, the caves had been uh, closed for a number of years before Scott's visit. Black magic ceremonies reportedly forced the owners to seal up the entrance to the caves in 2012. Now, that wasn't the Knights, but this people who were uh, using the caves for those kinds of purposes led them to close it in 2012. And while some people believe the caves are 700 years old, others think that the complex was carved out by followers of the Templars in the uh, 17th century. Either way, it's uh, pretty fascinating to see these caves carved out beneath the earth where they either held ceremonies or hid out or lived. We don't really know, but 700-year-old Knights Templar cave complex and all exposed by a rabbit apparently making its way to wherever it was going. Meanwhile, Rainier, Oregon, if you're looking for something to do during your spring break, a little-known center for sloths in Oregon is gaining national attention for letting visitors see, learn, and actually spend the night about these uh, sloths up close. Now, my first introduction to sloths was reading the scriptures, and we're warned not to be like the sloths. If you've ever watched one, they're really fascinating because they move so incredibly slowly to get from one place to the other. They sleep for very, very long hours in the course of a day, 15 to 18 hours a day. Well, the Sloth Captive Husbandry Center in Rainier is home to about 50 of these slow creatures. They live in special climate-controlled habitats, including one small building that houses 10 sloths who can interact with people. Uh, Reagan Royal, she works at the uh, center and helps care for the sloths, which sleep 15 to 18 hours a day. She said sloths move slowly because they can only see a couple of inches in front of them and they don't want to run into something. They can smell where they're going instead of having to see where they're going. Education is one reason the center opened to the public two years ago and after uh, it was uh, founded nearly three decades earlier. Well, their main job is uh, to uh, act as conservationists 
to make sure that they survive the sloth so that their children, or rather your children and your children's children, not only know what a sloth is, but can actually see one, can touch one, and understand why they are so delicate and sensitive. Apparently, they're delicate and sensitive. Well, Royale says sloth pop, uh, popularity is on the rise because of movies like Zootopia. Um, because of that, the problem of black market sloth imports is also growing. She says they literally had a, a lady pull in their driveway with a sloth on a shovel in her back seat. Uh, she paid for him online. He showed up at the airport, and then she didn't know what to do. I'm not sure they make good pets. Instead of bringing the sloth home, you can uh, live at the center with the sloths for one night. It's going to cost you about $600. Um, You and a guest can rent one of the four tents set up in the sloth habitat. For $100, guests can visit the habitat and feed the sloths as well. So if you have a fortune just sitting by, you can spend a little time with sloths. Uh, They'll come down one... Yep, apparently so. Uh, they'll come down once they realize what's going on, says Royale. They'll get in your uh, business and expect you to be a human vending machine. So it's your job as a human to feed them. Uh, she stressed that uh, the opportunities to visit sloth habitats are limited and for educational purposes, not entertainment. Although I can't imagine people not coming to be entertained by this rather comical creature that moves extremely slow and spends a lot of time sleeping. Sort of like the teenager Uh, in your household over the next week because they don't have to get up to go to school. They're going to move very slow and probably sleep a good deal of the time. They don't have to open their eyes, absolutely. And uh, you don't have to pay $600 to sleep uh, near one. So in groceries, (laughs) absolutely. And by the time the friends come over and they're hanging out at the house. Yeah, so maybe this sloth uh, facility might be the thing for you to escape the slothful teenager that will be taking full advantage of spring break where there's no alarm clock, they can just rest and relax. And, oh, doesn't that sound wonderful? Yeah. (sighs) Enjoy it while you can, kids. It won't last. We're going to take a break here at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Later this next hour, rather, we're going to talk with the uh, principal from a wonderful school, Western uh, Westside Christian High School. Uh, Dr. Debbie Miller will join us. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Happy Dog Friday from Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class. Yes, Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class. They came to the station earlier today for their annual tour, the highlight of the Georgine Rice Show calendar. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing, although he is long gone. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're still here, and we'll be here all next week through spring break, which is the time for most folks in the metro area. Well, I think it's sad and, and pitiful, <laughs> but we'll soldier on. We're, we're going to be fine. Ugh. When I was, I wonder, when I was a kid, did I appreciate it enough? Did I realize just how great I had it to have spring break, Christmas break, and then the summer's off? Did I take full advantage of that time off? So, kids, I want to tell you, you got it good. And it's not bad being an adult and not having that time off, but enjoy your time off because it uh, it's a passing thing. But I'm not bitter much, much. Hey, I want to remind you that uh, Good Friday is coming up. And with Good Friday in the Portland area is the Good Friday Breakfast. Uh, the speaker this year is Ken Caldwell. He's a former CEO and president of Papa Murphy's. In fact, you can go to the Good Friday Breakfast webpage, and there's a little video. You can meet the speaker uh, this year, um, and you can share that with your friends and so on. 
but of course, uh, you want to make sure that you reserve your spot at the Good Friday Breakfast and try not to come by yourself. Invite someone else to come with you, maybe a coworker, someone who doesn't regularly attend church. That really was part of the vision uh, for the Gallaghers when they brought the Portland Good Friday Breakfast to our community. They had attended a similar event in Arizona and uh, just thoroughly enjoyed um, what they did there, and they brought it here. And Open Arms International has been the uh, primary sponsor. There are now lots of other sponsors, including KPDQ. Uh, but we're delighted to partner with them in uh, bringing this opportunity uh, to the Portland metro area. So check that out, and uh, you can go to the Open Arms or the, I, I guess it's the Good Portland Good Friday Breakfast website to register, to find out more, to meet the speaker, and all of that. By the way, the theme is Tragedy and Triumph. Those two things often go together when you have a, a, a biblical worldview. You can find the triumph even in the midst of those very difficult circumstances. Also, we are sponsoring once again an opportunity to travel to the Holy Land. In November, the 1st through the 10th, by the way, Experience Israel. This is a once-in-a-lifetime trip for most people to the Holy Land with Genesis Tours and teaching pastor Sean Thornton. There will be 10 exciting days. You'll get to tour Israel, experience the wonder of the Bible. You can find out more at kpdq.com. Join Pastor Sean Thornton on this uh, unforgettable and timely faith journey to the land of Israel during its 50th anniversary. That's the anniversary of Jerusalem's reunification since the 1967 Six-Day War. It's a big deal. You can experience Israel Uh, tour uh, in this inspiring, faith-oriented, Bible-based 10-day journey that will offer you firsthand insights into Israel's past, miraculous present, and promising future while introducing you to its rich spiritual and biblical heritage. Genesis has great tour guides that actually really know uh, the land, the history, and the Bible. You're going to have the opportunity to explore sites uh, where miracles took place and parables were shared throughout the Galilee, Jerusalem, worship at the Mount of Beatitudes, Mount of Olives, tour the the Golan Heights, Israel's northern borders, visit to modern Tel Aviv and Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast, as well as Masada and the Dead Sea. Enjoy enriching Bible studies uh, at key locations on the trip uh, of a lifetime. Your Bible will come alive. Your faith will be invigorated. So um, you can uh, join that trip and find out all about it at kpdq.com. The Bible teacher, as I mentioned, is going to be Pastor Sean Thornton. Um, He was just a young teenager when he stood before his congregation and announced uh, his availability for Christian ministry, whether conducting children's Bible studies, working summers at Christian camps, or attending Bible college and seminaries. Uh, People saw something special in him and believed God was, in fact, going to use him in a meaningful way. When he was just 30, he uh, started to serve as senior pastor at Bible Center Church in Charleston, West Virginia. He immediately fell in love with the people, the work, the calling, and from all reports, uh, the feeling was mutual. Well, under his leadership, the church saw a season of growth, including attendance numbers, up uh, over 2,000 from 750, which, by the way, is not always a mark of a great Bible teacher. There are a lot of churches with big numbers uh, that, um, well, the Bible teaching leaves something to be desired. And there are churches with very small, steady numbers where the congregation is small, but uh, they go deep. So uh, I mentioned the numbers, but not uh, doesn't necessarily validate a ministry. So those of you who are pastoring smaller churches, uh, which is, by the way, most of the churches across the country, kudos to you for being faithful and helping your congregation to go deep. But anyway, in 2008, Pastor Sean answered the call to lead Calvary Community Church. The uh, Thornton family, which is Sean, his wife Leslie, and their three children, uh, they moved across the country to um, 
uh, a whole new area. Uh, in this new ministry role, he sought to listen to voices from Calvary, uh, other local ministries, member of the, uh, let's see, it's the Conheo um, Valley community. And when he first arrived, he said he... Uh, uh, the biz- biggest thing was to connect him to the congregation, and he's been doing that ever since. He has a very successful radio ministry and is uh, well-known all across the country. He's going to be the teaching pastor for the Experience Israel Salem Media uh, Tour. And again, you can go to kpdq.com and learn uh, more about that. Uh, uh, pastor Thornton is the senior pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California, He's the host of All Things New radio program. And I tell you, the teaching pastor can make a real difference in uh, the approach to uh, the tour that you're going to be taking in the nation of Israel. So make note of that. And finally, I want to uh, let you know, women, if you're looking for a great women's conference, the Cannon Beach Conference Center is offering uh, one uh, July the 9th through the 11th. And you'll find throughout the year there are women's conferences. But I want to particularly mention uh, this one because author and speaker Liz Curtis Higgs is going to be there for a weekend of funny, encouraging, down-to-earth Bible teaching. You can go to kpdq.com, and the good news is you can uh, enter to win a chance to uh, enjoy a two-night stay at the Cannon Beach Conference Center that will include meals and their Friday night buffet for the women's conferences. Oh, just incredible. And the accommodations are wonderful, and you can find out more once again at kpdq. Dot com. I love Liz Curtis Hicks. She is uh, very, very um, inspired and a humorous teacher. Really enjoy her. All right. Well, did you hear that uh, the West Coast is going to have its first Cracker Bell Barrel restaurant? Have you ever been to a Cracker Barrel restaurant? I know it's uh, it's featured large in a lot of humor. Um, in old radio and in things from the South, but to have, and I think I've eaten at one once when I went uh, with a local ministry following one of the hurricanes to Louisiana, we had lunch once at a Cracker Barrel restaurant. Um, It's a Southern themed restaurant with decor that's inspired. uh, This new one will be inspired by Oregon. It's going to open near uh, Cabela's in Tualatin's Nyberg River Shopping Center. Yeah, that's April the 17th. And they're opening at 6 a.m. You'd probably want to know. Yeah. Well, the the Cracker Barrel that I went to, and I think the Southern version serves kind of Southern classics, just really down-home food, ample portions. Uh, I don't, I, no, I think it's uniquely Southern. Like I said, I've only been to one, but it's it kind of has a legend around its name and cuisine. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I went once, and I it wasn't all that memorable. I think it might have been for breakfast, and, you know, there's a limited, yeah, I think I had pancakes, but I think biscuits and gravy and that sort of thing. Anyway, uh, by late summer, early fall, a second and third restaurant in the Jansen Beach Center and along Beaverton Canyon Road, respectively, are uh, slated to open as well. Yeah, but there's more. A fourth unannounced location is also expected to open sometime over the next couple of years. So I guess they're really expecting it's going to take off. Uh, the restaurant chain, known for its southern-inspired menu and decor, opened its first restaurant nearly 50 years ago in Lebanon, Tennessee. I ate uh, in uh, Louisiana. Cracker Barrel has more than 600 locations across 43 states, and I suppose that will be 600-plus locations across 44 states once they open up here in um, the Pacific Northwest. But this is the first West Coast Cracker Barrel restaurant ever. Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. <laughs> April the 17th. Cracker Barrel. 
Well, and that they're starting in Tualatin. I mean, does that seem like Cracker Barrel country to you? I mean, I, I don't know, but I would think it would be more rural. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, we'll see how it does. Might have to take a field trip. <laughs> Might need to do it during spring break, although they're not yet here. Yeah. Well, we can do a scouting trip just to, you know, make sure. No, during the show, it'll be a field trip. Like the one that Mrs. Stutzman's first grade, or rather fourth grade class took earlier today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Also, later this hour, we're going to talk with Dr. Debbie Miller. She's the principal at Westside Christian High School. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Haven today with Charles Morris is KPDQ's Ministry of the Month for March. You can tune in every weekday at 1230 for interviews, music, and Bible teaching with Charles Morris and for your chance to win his latest book, Fleeing ISIS, Finding Jesus. That's Haven Today with Charles Morris every weekday at 1230 on 93.9 KPDQ, our Ministry of the Month for March. Find out more at kpdq.com. Our program today is brought to you by Toyota of Vancouver. Thought you'd want to know. Well, are you a chocolate lover who prefers the sweet sans cocoa? Well, if that is the case, rejoice. White chocolate lovers, Mars is answering your sugary sweet prayer. The previously limited edition M&M's white chocolate will soon be available year round. Now, I personally have never heard of such a thing and can't imagine it, but apparently it was popular enough that they're going to bring it back. I didn't know it was here, but bring it back and it's going to be available year round. Now, this is the first time that the white chocolate candy will be available in the brand's standard bright colors instead of the seasonal pastel colors used during its uh, typical Easter release each year. M&M's white chocolate will hit shelves at uh, select stores, mass convenience, and uh, drugstore nationwide starting the uh, in May of 2017. And singles packs that feature the brand's iconic colorful candy shells, according to a spokesperson. Now, some fans are pretty excited about the permanent uh, news that Mars is offering. White chocolate M&Ms are coming uh, rather May the 17th. I will buy them all, says one. Maybe not all. White chocolate M&Ms are a thing and they are life changing, says another fan. Let out a piece of white chocolate M&Ms for mom yesterday. And she said, I'm not eating that. Didn't think it would actually still be there. She ate it. She loved it. Have to say, I love white chocolate, but I didn't like these too much, says another. Peanut butter is still my go-to when it comes to M&M's. And apparently that's another one. Uh, the white chocolate M&M's will likely be joined by the highly anticipated caramel variety uh, due out in stores this May. Caramel M&M's. Yeah, I suppose so. I um, have a candy dish on my desk during the month or the weeks leading up to Easter there. Uh, peanut M&Ms, and I see more of my coworkers during this this period than any other time of the year. I think at Christmas time I also have a candy dish, and people come in. But there are some coworkers I don't, I don't even know they still work here until I put the candy out, and somehow they just sense they work in another side of the building. They sense that I have uh, candy, and they yeah, apparently so. I see people I hadn't seen. Oh, are you still working here? I hadn't uh, I hadn't known if you were still on the payroll, but they are. I've got candy, so Loman, you never see him. <laughs> you put the candy out, Loman's hanging out. It's uh, kind of funny. In fact, sometimes I put it out just to see who still works here. It uh, works every time. And then there's this. This is another of those Babylon Bee tongue-in-cheek uh, little articles. 
well, I just, uh, in fact, Loman, who I rarely see, um, sent a couple of things to me. So I'm sharing from the Babylon Bee, which if you're looking for a good laugh uh, once a week, you can find some some things there that help us poke fun at ourselves and maybe question, oh, are we going about this in quite the the right way? Anyway, the headline, spirituality is directly linked to the amount of highlighting in your Bible. Now, I have to admit, uh, a couple of weeks back, I'm sitting in Bible study fellowship, the small group uh, gathering, and uh, I had the notes from the lecture the week before, the, the a chapter in John that I had been studying, and I'm a highlighter. I, you know, it, my husband makes fun of me because he says, "Why don't you just highlight what's not important?" Because there's so much yellow highlighter on the page that I almost highlight everything, which kind of makes it difficult when you go back and look for something important because the whole thing is highlighted. Well, one of the women sitting next to me uh, made a joke about that very thing because I had highlighted so much of it, and then when I read this headline, I felt vindicated. Spirituality directly linked to the amount of highlighting in the Bible. A new Lifeway, Re- Lifeway research study confirmed Wednesday that the amount of highlighting in one's personal copy of the Scriptures may be a reliable indicator for that person's level of spirituality. Huh. There's a strong correlation there, Lifeway Research Associate Rachel Orton told reporters. We also found that Christians who exaggerate their highlighting motions during a church service or Bible study were extra spiritual. So I may actually fit into that category of extra spiritual because I'm demonstrative while I'm over highlighting. The rep further stated that Christians who prefer not to draw, underline, or highlight in their Bibles almost uh, have almost no relationship with God to speak of. End quote. The one man in Texas uh, that had an entire book of Romans highlighted, that would be me, and he turned out to have the highest levels of spirituality in our entire study, she added. So all you need to do, apparently, is get your highlighter out and just highlight everything and your level of uh, proficiency and depth just goes up. Subjects who used multiple colors combined with underlines, circles, stars were also shown to have exceptionally high levels of spirituality, according to the final result of the study. So there you have it. Just get yourself a couple highlighters, a, a fine uh, pin, highlight, underline, star, so on. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a, a laugh, uh, laughable tongue-in-cheek thing. I was actually sitting next to my sister Donna in a service um, just last week. We were invited to come uh, and visit a church and help with the uh, worship, and my husband spoke. And I looked over at her Bible, and she has highlighted things and underlined. She's much more... Um, uh, deliberative than I am. She just had certain things highlighted and she lifted her Bible up and showed me this is a prayer for Jordan and Stephanie. That This is something she had written decades ago in praying for her then little children. And she, for all of these years, had prayed for them. Um, and it was just very sweet to see that she had actually made notes of when and what uh, these were highlighted about. And I thought, man, I just have one page of yellow highlight without <laughs> any notations or anything. But again, I feel a bit vindicated because according to the Babylon Bee, that makes me very spiritual indeed. Well, maybe not. Well, we are uh, having a bit of fun on a Friday afternoon, which is what we tend to do at the end of the week. There were lots of developing news stories uh, that we are not going to cover. But I will mention that, of course, the health care bill did not uh, come up for a vote. I don't know who actually thought it would or that it would succeed, but we kept hearing Members suggest that that was the plan. It was coming up and it was going to succeed. I I couldn't quite make the numbers uh, match up. So there was no big surprise there. We do know that the the pipeline was approved by the State Department. That was uh, somewhat uh, big news today. Uh, I think it it was probably anticipated under the new administration, but the State Department did, in fact, uh, approve the Keystone Pipeline. 
And there were some other news items, which we will return to on Monday. But we tried to, at the end of the week, focus on some of the lighter um, issues in the news. Well, because there's a lot going on and sometimes you need to just step away for a, a moment or two. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot of that going on as well. Uh, they do a great job, though, I think, of of highlighting things that um, are common uh, in the church in general and helping us kind of laugh at ourselves a little bit and challenge our assumptions about what uh, demonstrates true depth of faith and what actually doesn't. Also, we have been uh, focusing on and will continue through the end of the month, uh, Christian schools in our community. And it's been a real pleasure for me because I've had the opportunity uh, to study uh, uh, some of these schools. I know the names. Some were new to me, but most of them I'd heard the names. I knew a little bit of their reputation. But to actually go to the website, read a little bit about their uh, philosophy, hear from some of their students, it's been a real joy for me uh, and an encouragement personally because I'm hearing about uh, the dedication of uh, the teachers, the principals, administrators, uh, supervisors, superintendents, who are all a part of this uh, system of education in various places around the metro area, Vancouver and Gresham and Beaverton and um, all around the, the Portland metro area. And did I mention Vancouver? And it's just, uh, it's it's been edifying uh, to consider the young people who are going through these schools and not only getting great um, academic training, but also in the context of biblical faith and an eternal perspective. And I'm encouraged to know that these young people, when they've finished with their um, their education, are going to be real contributors, and they're going to have a um, a lot to offer the kingdom of God, the church, and the culture. So looking forward to sharing more of them with you next week. But today we will finish out the week with a conversation I had earlier in the day with Dr. Debbie Miller, who's the principal of Westside Christian High School. And I think you'll hear in her uh, in her description of the school, their philosophy, their priorities, their love for the students, um, just the kind of quality education that uh, young people in our community are getting. And I want to encourage you to consider Christian education uh, you can begin by going to our listener savings page, and there you can find um, the schools that we've been talking about and will through next week. Some of them still have some uh, discounts on their tuition. Uh, some have have already sold those out, but you can find uh, information on that. But you can also find a link to each of the schools. You'll see their logo there, and you can click on uh, the, uh, the the logo and go to their web page and learn more about them. Um, sometimes geography determines where you send your, your child if you're looking for a Christian school. Sometimes a philosophy or an approach to education or um, an approach to uh, uh, to faith is how a family chooses what school uh, to send their or, uh, kids or grandkids. Uh, but you can find out the answers to your questions on those websites. Some of the schools still have some open houses yet to come. Others have had theirs, but you can always re- make an appointment and tour uh, the school and uh, meet some of the teachers, see the facility, see some of the children who are attending there. So I would encourage you to do that through the remainder of this month as we're focusing on Christian education. Our next stop is Westside Christian High School with Dr. Debbie Miller. Stick around. I think you'll want to hear what she has to say. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I have to tell you, it's been a real thrill for me to talk with some of the principals, teachers, administrators, superintendents from Christian schools in our community. And we want to continue this trend of shining a bright light on Christian education in our community because these are men and women who have dedicated themselves to teaching young people, and that's making a significant impact on the kingdom of God, our communities, and our families. Joining us now from Westside Christian High School is uh, uh, Dr. Debbie Miller and and we are delighted to focus a, a bright light on Westside Christian School that's been a part of our community for a number of years. Dr. Miller, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Well, we're excited to, uh, to talk about Westside. I know lots of young people who have graduated from there, and uh, it's a thrill to, to know that the school is continuing to provide not only the classroom rigor that parents are looking for, but you integrate a biblical worldview and focus on character and leadership development, and that is really the, uh, the hallmark feature of Westside. For those who aren't familiar with uh, the high school, can you just give us a, a brief picture of Westside Christian High School? Um, sure, I'd be happy to. So we're just a high school, as you said, so grades 9 through 12. Um, we have around 240 students. We did just move into our own facility um, in the spring of 2014. So we are perched uh, at the intersection of 217 and Highway 99, kind of a, a city on a hill, we like mm-hmm. to say. Um, some of you maybe have driven by that facility. Yes. Um, we have a strong focus on academic rigor. That is true, but... We also really believe that um, to develop kids in a holistic way so they can really become who God's created them to be requires um, not just focusing on academics, but like you said, doing spiritual formation um, and also just acknowledging that there's more to life than books. And so service and, you know, looking at cultural issues and trying to be aware of the world in which we live so that we can really graduate from here, people who are ready to interact with the world in larger, broader ways that will be winsome for the cause of Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, start by talking a little bit about the academic excellence that is certainly a feature of Westside and then move to mm-hmm. uh, the biblical worldview. I know that Westside offers college prep academics uh, enhanced by their concurrent college credit program and AP courses. Your SAT scores are consistently among the highest in the state. And about, uh, on average, 95% of the graduating class is college-bound. That's quite a, quite a record. Yes, we're really we're really proud of that achievement while realizing that we're just a, a part of that puzzle and and also realizing that the way that God has gifted every human being is is unique to that human being. And so while we 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 do have strong academics and we are known for academic rigor, I also um believe that it's really important to recognize that people are smart in different ways, right? We've all heard Howard Gardner's famous saying, it's not how smart are you, but how are you smart? Mm-hmm. And so um but to your question, and that is we do have um, high academic standards, and what I really appreciate is having been a part of a teacher education program at um, Multnomah University for many years, I had an opportunity to set my feet into different educational environments where I was observing student teachers in the classroom, and I would often see just such a, um, some apathy towards education and, and sort of a general lackluster appreciation or desire to learn, and one thing I really appreciate about Westside that I recognized right away when I came was when you walk the halls, there's this buzz about uh, the joy of learning, that, yeah, it's hard, and, you know, our kids don't love tests any more than any other kids, <laughs> but when it comes down to just wanting to exceed, to excel, to do well, it's a great environment where 
kids are encouraging each other to study and to do well and to work hard. They get together for projects, and it isn't like the lowest common denominator. It's the highest common denominator. How great could our project be? And I love that environment where the kids are stimulating each other to excellence. Mm. I know part of that is the staff, and I know at Westside Christian, Mm -hmm. you intentionally teach through a Christian worldview lens in all the Mm -hmm. academic and extracurricular uh, settings, not just in Bible class, but throughout your contact uh, and training of, of young people. Right, that's true, and I think, again, it goes um, back to our our mission, which is to create graduates who are able to thread a biblical worldview into all of all aspects of their life. So it, it has to be more than just um, compartmentalized into their study of Scripture or Sunday morning mm-hmm. church attendance. It really needs to kind of bleed through their DNA and their daily activities, so the ways they study, the ways they interact with each other, the ways they compete on the sports field. I mean, we need to live out the Word really authentically in order for the world to understand the the beauty of the Gospel. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, One of the things that uh, you touched on a bit earlier is the fact that uh, students at Westside um, are involved in a community outreach, and they, they are frequently involved in, in service projects so that they're not only in an insular environment where all of the uh, their fellow students hold the same worldview, but they're also reaching out into the world. Talk a little bit about that aspect of preparing students for the wider world. Right. So we do have service projects. So we, um, in the spirit of continuous improvement, we're always trying to figure out how do we make service not just this add-in, not just this box you check or something that you do so you can put it on your resume or a college application. That, to me, would be the, um, the least compelling reason to do service at a school. We want to create a service program structure that gives kids authentic opportunities to serve and to give and to observe um, the needs around them and to develop caring, compassionate hearts um, you know, we know all know the Scripture so well, right, that Jesus came um, not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And we want to give our kids that sense of, you are here. God gave you a purpose to serve the common good. This mm-hmm. life is not just for your own ends and means, but to figure out how you're created to give your life away to extend the kingdom and to serve others. And so we have service projects. We do uh, projects with Bridgetown and with um, uh, mission teams, medical mission teams with a night strike. We take a group over to Thailand to work with Grace Ministries over there. Um, uh, yeah, so those are just some of the programmatic aspects of our service programs. We did um, we worked with Special Olympics uh, last weekend, and we had 20 three students go and help serve in the Special Olympics, and that was transformational for some of them who had never had an opportunity to do something like that before. Yeah, yeah, so I guess those are some of the ways that we do that. I I do want to say, too, because we've all heard about that Christian bubble, right? And and parents Mm -hmm. parents think long and hard about, wow, they want to send them to a high school that's Christian where everybody thinks like they do. And I guess from having served in Christian education for decades now, I just want to say walk the halls for a few days, and you will come to understand that... You are not, you're in a very diverse environment where kids are formulating their own worldviews. They're coming from um, homes that um, are often also formulating their own worldviews, and kids are struggling with life issues. We, they're not insulated from culture. Anybody who owns a TV or a radio yeah. or a smartphone or a computer um, is not insulated from culture because we don't have to go out into it to, be, um, to interact with it, right? That's right. It comes to us. And so our, our students are dealing with the same kinds of issues and asking the same kinds of questions, but they get to do it in an environment where we can help them process from that biblical worldview that you pointed out 
And I think that's the beauty of a Christian school setting. Absolutely. One other thing I want to mention before our time runs out is the multi-year program that students participate in that help them to discover their passions and gifts. And it culminates in a personal service learning project in mm-hmm. uh, Bible during their senior year. Uh, and again, preparing them for that transition away from high school into whatever God is calling them to. Right. Yeah, so we have these service projects, and like you said, they really are a culminating project or a capstone where students are discovering their gifts and their passions. Um, I'm probably going to misquote it terribly, but we we base it on a a Frederick Buechner quote about finding out where the world's needs meet your deepest passions. And when you find that intersection, that you get that capital C sense of call. And so our students are led through a series of exercises and activities some exploration that helps them to discover, what am I passionate about? Who do I care about? And, you know, this vast sea of humanity, where, has, where is God drawing me? Um, and what can I do and how am I gifted? And where is there a need that I could, that I could use those gifts, those passions, those interests to, to meet, to serve? And then they write, you know, they write about the experience and they serve over a number of weeks. Um, so this is not just a couple of hours. This is a, a year-long focus and then they present it in a senior project form, and they get to share their celebration uh, with the school community. And it's a time of year where we celebrate what our students have done to serve others in our community. It's really beautiful. Mm. Well, Westside Christian School has been serving in our community and educating young people for more than three decades. And Dr. Miller, I thank you so much for the part that you and the faculty and staff play mm-hmm. there in helping to equip these young people and help them to recognize uh, their calling and uh, to be contributors to the broader community. Again, we're talking about Westside Christian High School. Now, your location, uh, can you give us your new location for those who aren't familiar with where you are now? I I can picture it right in my head, but for those who don't know. Yes, we are sitting just up on the hill um, at the intersection of 217 and Highway 99. So we're kind of perched up on that hill. Um, so you can see our signage as you drive down 217, um, or you're heading down Highway 99 between uh, Tigard and the I-5 exchange. Now, for parents or grandparents who are interested in learning more about Westside Christian, what's the best way for them to, uh, to get more information? Yes, I would say the best place is to check us out on the website, which is just Google Westside Christian High School, and we should come up and you can find out a whole lot about our organization from there, including who you can contact if you'd like to call someone. Great. Thank you so much for talking with us and have a great spring break. All right. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Again, Westside Christian High School. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show on this fun Friday afternoon. I'm going to pause for just a moment because I know there will be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Well, on Monday, we are going to talk with David Gallagher. Yeah, that David Gallagher. He is the co-founder, along with his lovely wife, of Open Arms International. He's also the author of Our Daddy Who Art in Heaven, God is Closer Than You Think. Um, a book that he has written, he's going to be, I think, is he in studio? James, he's going to be with me in studio. I'm so excited. Uh, my husband and I, that would be Dan Rice, have traveled uh, off and on over the years with uh, Rachel and David Gallagher and Open Arms International. I'm looking forward to just having him in the same room for five minutes to catch up a little bit and to share his latest book. They live most of the year in Africa now. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well as the book that uh, that he's authored. We're also going to continue our uh, uh, discussion of Christian education in our area. P.J. Hansen will join me. He's the principal of the um, 
elementary school, Cordeo Christian Academy. There's an elementary and middle school. We'll talk all about that uh, on Monday. And then on Tuesday, Aaron Damani or Damiani will be my guest, the author of The Good of Giving Up. What? What good can there be in giving up? Well, the subtitle is Discovering the Freedom of Lent. Oh, that's context, which is just a good illustration that context is everything. We'll also talk with Bill Gibbons, who's the superintendent of Cornerstone Christian Academy. On Wednesday, David Brog will be my guest. His book is simply titled uh, Saving Israel, The Definitive Truth About the Arab-Israeli Conflict. And uh, we are working on a conversation with the Portland Adventist Christian School. Uh, And then on Thursday, Steve Adams will be my guest. Uh, He is uh, the author of Children's Ministry on Purpose, a purpose-driven approach to lead kids to spiritual health. That certainly will fill it. Uh, fit in with the emphasis that we've had over these last several weeks, focusing on some of the Christian schools in our area. And let me just say what a delight it has been to study a little bit about each of the schools we've been talking about. And by no means is this an exhaustive list, but these are uh, Christian schools that are partnering with the station here. And it's been so fun to study a little bit about them. And it's been personally encouraging to me as I look at the generation of young people who are in those schools today and the tremendous benefit of the education they're receiving from dedicated men and women who are not only excellent educators, but they're men and women of faith and know how to help young people to gain an eternal perspective, to walk a walk of faith with Jesus, to learn to love God's word. And I think about that generation, and I am excited about what uh, what these schools are turning out, if uh, if I can put it so crudely. Anyway, we're going to con- uh, continue that, and this uh, conversation with Steve Adams sort of fits in with that. And then on Friday, we're going to lighten up just a bit, and we're trying to get a, a conversation booked with Pilgrim Lutheran School uh, that's uh, one of the schools that we've been uh, highlighting here. Now, I should also remind you that you can go to the listener savings page, Uh, And there you can look for the um, tuition savings. And we still have schools that have discounts on their tuition. Uh, At this point, we have up to 40 percent savings on some of the schools that we've been uh, discussing. You can not only find out uh, about the discount on tuition, but you can also uh, click on the name or uh, the logo of uh, each of those schools and go to their uh, major web page as well to find out more. Some of them have uh, open houses that are ahead. Others have already finished theirs, but you can schedule a tour. And I would encourage you to do that. If you are thinking about the possibility of enrolling a child, a grandchild uh, in the fall, or perhaps starting at uh, at this point in the academic school year toward the end of the year, it's a great way to get to see the uh, the grounds, to meet some of the students, to see uh, the faculty uh, as they're uh, working to talk with the principal or superintendent and to learn more about the benefits of Christian education. And if uh, if you've been listening throughout these last uh, several weeks, uh, you can uh, appreciate the caliber of offerings that we have here in the Portland metro area. Again, I am so encouraged uh, by the schools, by their philosophy and approach, by the young people who attend the schools, by the principals, the, the leaders, the teachers, the staff, their uh, emphasis and training. So I'm, I'm just thrilled. Uh, that Christian education is alive and well in the Pacific Northwest and in particular the Portland metro area. So that's what's coming up uh, next week. And I want to remind you, uh, because Good Friday will be here before you know it, that the 11th annual Portland Good Friday Breakfast is on this year, uh, 7 o'clock a.m. at the Oregon Convention Center. Tables and tickets are still available, and you can go to their website for more information on that, Ken Caldwell is the speaker this year. He's the former CEO and president of Papa Murphy's. He's had a life in which uh, physical challenge 
um, threatened to change everything. And that uh, that negative circumstance impacted him in such a way that he has gone deeper in his faith and it's become uh, more relevant and dear to him. And I think you're going to enjoy hearing him on this Good Friday at the Oregon Convention Center. Again, the Portland Good Friday Breakfast, the primary sponsor, or, uh, Open Arms International. This was the result of uh, uh, the uh, the folks at Open Arms International uh, attending an event in, I believe it was Arizona, in which they um, attended a Good Friday Breakfast and thought this is something that Portland should benefit, uh, could benefit by, be blessed by. It's an opportunity to share the love of Christ with the broader community. And uh, so the Portland Good Friday Breakfast 11 years ago began right here in uh, in Portland. So hope you will plan to attend this year. Also, if you would uh, like to travel to Israel, and this is a great year to do it, they're celebrating Jerusalem's 50th anniversary. And I know you're wondering, 50th anniversary, Israel's been around for 70. Why? Well, it all has to do with the, the political um, uh, uh, affiliation of Jerusalem with the nation of Israel. But anyway, this November, Experience Israel is going to offer a once-in-a-lifetime trip to the Holy Land with Genesis Tours and teaching pastor Sean Thornton. You can learn more about that and the 50th anniversary celebrations that are going on all year in Jerusalem that you will be a part of uh, at kpdq.com. And let me encourage you to check that out. So many of us have said uh, it's on our bucket list. We would love to travel to the Holy Land. Well, this might be the year for you. Uh, don't um, don't hesitate to find out whether or not uh, the time is right, November 1st through the 10th, the, the money is right, the cost and so on, if this seems to be the time for you to travel, because uh, we would love for you to be a part of this uh, wonderful experience. And the fact that it's Jerusalem's 50th anniversary celebration will make it all the sweeter uh, to be there. So again, you can find out more at kpdq.com, keyword Israel. All right. I think we are uh, we're out of time. It's time to uh, wrap things up and uh, head home for the weekend. I know this is the start of spring break for many. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed Mrs. Stutzman's fourth grade class that was in today to kick off their uh, spring break, which begins essentially at the end of the school day, which for them has already come and gone. For those of you who are taking time off, enjoy it. Spend a little time with us if you can. Be careful. Have fun. And we'll be back on Monday. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.